In an article by Stephen Sheen, he asked the question, what is the largest living single organism in the world? Uh, the top answers for that, normally the blue whale or the redwoods out in California, actually the largest living single organism in the world is in Utah. We'll come back to that here in just a moment. We're going to look at Paul's words, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul here is responding to Corinth where people were leaving the faith or they were falling for false doctrines or just things from the culture that were influencing them to compromise the truth. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, Therefore, my brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Therefore, since people are falling away or falling for lies, Paul says, brothers, sisters in Christ, stand firm, let nothing move you. In a culture today, we're going to look at several examples about a culture that is tremendously confused and compromised in so many ways. We are called, stand firm, let nothing move you. We see the conflicts, all of the upsets, the trading on truth, the changing of definitions, things we'll look at today. Paul says, stand firm. Why? What he had just explained to the church in Corinth is because Christ is risen and we can face all things. And he says, therefore, stand firm. What was taking place in Corinth? It was an insult to be called a Corinthian because in that culture, people in that city were known for very large sinful lives wrapped around false religions, debauchery, Adultery was common, and Paul was writing to a congregation that was in that very city where some of that compromise and sin had come into the believers' lives. Paul says it should not be so, and even in a culture that compromised, he says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Let me give you an example. This is from Steve Larson, and what I'm going to share is going to fool you, and he fooled me, he fooled everybody else. And that's the point that he was making. Steve Larson works now for ClickFunnels, which is an online marketing agency. When he came on board with them, he had already had several failed businesses. And he was sharing, he and his wife, now married for a year, and he said he was going to join ClickFunnels and work for them as an entrepreneur. He shared that he was out of money, so for their first anniversary, they went to a fast food restaurant, had a simple meal, laughed a little. Suddenly his wife began to cry though. He asked what's wrong. She said, you've already had several failed businesses. This new one, I just need you to tell me this one is going to work. And Steve said, I told her, of course it's going to work. This is the one I will be successful at. They went home. He was feeling so guilty, so fearful. He simply said to his wife, I'm going to go to the office. I think I'll walk, get some fresh air. He shared he was walking to the office. He's sharing the story at a conference, and he says, you know, he was walking down the street and did something he never thought he'd do. He saw a man in a limousine, and they parked the limousine, and the chauffeur was opening the door, and here was this man in the limo dressed very nicely, very confident. Steve said, I ran up to that man and I said, listen, you've got to give me advice. Help me. How do I be successful? He said, the man in the limousine looked at me and said, you know what? I was you two years ago. 
Steve said, what changed? And the man said, I began to read this book. And Steve was holding a book at the seminar. And the man said, I began to read that book. I read that book one chapter a day. And when I finished it, I started again at chapter one. Read it every day for nine months. I didn't just read it, though. I put into practice what was suggested by the author. And now my life financially has completely changed. And as Steve was sharing this story at the seminar, people came to the front of the stage and they wanted to buy the book he was holding and he had several copies. He sold them. People went back to their seats and then came the big reveal. As he said to everybody, I just made that entire story up. I wasn't bankrupt. I never met a man in a limousine. And the book I just passed out was a random one I picked off the shelf. There was no book. And people were upset, and they wanted to return the book. And he said, I'm not going to buy back the books you guys bought, because you'll never forget this lesson. And the lesson is, that is how easy it is to be fooled. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Paul says again, stand firm, let nothing move you. In a world where so many things are false, so many people trying to sell ideas, Stand firm, let nothing move you. For instance, here's recent studies on college professors. Want to know why some of the challenges are there? Education with students. Here are some of the studies. Among college professors, atheism is three times greater than the rest of the population. Second study, over 50% of college professors believe the Bible is, quote, an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts. What's taking place on campuses that seems so confusing? Well, there's part of the reason for it. What does Paul say? Stand firm, let nothing move you. A few weeks ago, I met a, a man. I was at a class, and he asked what I did for a living. I asked him, and he said he was a college detention officer. I said, what in the world is that? He said, well, if you're in college, you get in trouble, you get restricted to the dorm, and, and uh, that's a penalty. And I asked, like, for what? And he gave me many examples. Now, Monica and I graduated 2005, not that long ago, and when he gave me the list of things that people were restricted to dorm for, I said, well, that would have got you an expulsion in 2005. And he said, that doesn't happen anymore. He says, not in today's culture. If you did that today, you know how many students you, know, you would lose? There's an article, title is, My Students Know They're in Charge, There's Nothing I Can Do, written anonymously for the New York Post a few months ago. And in the article, a former teacher shares that in class it was common. She was threatened by students, pushed by students. One student stood up very loudly and simply began to curse her out. She sent him to the principal's office. She said, but what happened next was normal. The principal came back a few minutes later with the student and said, let him back in class. I called the parents. We don't need this problem. What's taking place in culture today? What does Paul say? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Here is an article, Lee Grady, Our Confused World. What does he write here? For centuries, people have assumed things like gender, age, and race are set realities based on science. Yet today, all absolutes are being questioned. There are now 63 
different official designations for gender on record. Therefore, my dear brethren, stand firm, let nothing move you. What did Martin Luther say back in the 1500s? Faith is permitting ourselves to be seized by the things we do not see. Our life should so be caught up in Christ that his calling seizes our heart. We say, you know what? Like C.S. Lewis said, I believe as I believe in the Son. Because by it I see all things. That's why I believe in Christ. Because through him I see all things. And though there are many parts of faith unseen, it is because of that faith that I see things more clearly. Donald Mann recommends something simple. Anybody can begin to do today to be more seized by their faith. And he practices this and recommends it as simply to read out loud five, ten, twenty psalms a day. The psalms are words of praise. They're prayers. And reading them out loud and, and making them personal helps us to draw closer to God and sense that worship that we're to draw to on a regular basis. Fascinating here, Jack Deere, surprised by the voice of God, writes about Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer passed away in 1984, theologian, professor, one of the most respected theologians of the 20th century. A man of real integrity, had tremendous respect from all places. He said for himself, till the day he died, there was a time, he and his wife, they were having a financial situation where they were having to move, but they didn't have money for a new place. And so he said in prayer, God, we need a minor miracle here. Where are we going to live? And he said very clearly he knew God spoke and said, call your uncle. And as Francis Schaeffer said, my uncle, my uncle had no money, but I knew very clearly the direction I had called the uncle and just said, you know, I'm curious, uncle. I know you have a house, just wondering what you're going to do with that house. And the uncle said, well, amazing you called today. I'm going to live with my brother because he needs some help. And I was going to allow anybody that needed it to live in my house for free for the next 12 months while I was with him. That's why Paul again says, Stand firm. Do not be moved. God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. He's in our life. We're called to then live from that standpoint. But Paul then says not only to stand firm, but what else we can do to begin to transform the culture around us. So what is the single largest living organism in the world? Well, it's this set of trees. They are known as pando which is Latin for spread out. And this is a 100-acre single-seed tree, one root system that has grown up into these many aspen trees. But they are all part of one tree. They're all growing out of one root. Normally, each tree is a separate seed. That is not the case here. 100 acres, all these trees connected, they are one root. The metaphor clear as we understand. Scripture time and time again says if the foundation is strong, 
It's the root system that matters. That Christ, we are the branches. He is the vine. As we're grounded and rooted in him, there's health, there's life, there's growth. Brings us back to Paul's second statement here, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. That word fully means to be immersed, not half-hearted, but to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Whatever that calling is for each of us, it's, it's to follow Christ, it's to be holy, it's to hear his voice, and whatever personal ministry he has spoken to each of us to carry out to his glory, to give yourself fully, not to give yourself an hour on Sunday or every other week, To give yourself fully, it's a complete lifestyle commitment that says what he calls, I shall do. And from that, transformation begins to take place, not just in our life, but in the lives around us. Mother Teresa was famously asked by an interview, here's the article for it, but there was a journalist observing her one day. She was cleaning the wounds of a man who was very ill, just quietly with a rag and a washcloth, and the journalist said to her, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And Mother Teresa famously said with a smile, I wouldn't either. She did it because it was her calling. She did it because she was being faithful. Another example, George Mueller here, fascinating man from the 1800s who wrote page after page after page of God answering prayers. He was known for opening orphanages, helping thousands of orphans with never publicly asking for assistance. They lived their life by saying, we'll pray and God will speak to somebody's heart and tell them our need. And he writes about time and time again, when there were empty cupboards, they would gather the children and pray and say, God, the cupboards are empty. We need more food so we can have our meals. There'd be a knock at the door. Someone would have groceries and say, you know, God laid on my heart to drop these off today. And George Mueller lived like that his entire life. And he was asked, you know, how did you live with faith like that? And George Mueller said, there was a day when I died. I died to George Mueller. We come to a place and say, I die to self and I give myself fully to the calling of Christ. You know, I'm fascinated by magicians and and went to a show a couple of weeks ago. And then about three weeks ago, they interviewed Siegfried of Siegfried and Roy. You remember Roy was attacked by a tiger and has gone through recovery now for many years. But they talked to Siegfried and it was fascinating. The most successful magicians perhaps in history, but certainly in modern time. And Siegfried was asked, you know, why did you become a magician? And he shared, oh, it's very simple. My father never spoke to me. He said, you know, he went off to the war, came back. He was different, but he still wouldn't speak to me. I don't remember my father ever talking to me. He certainly never said things like, I love you. I'm proud of you. He says, one day I was about 10 years old, had done some chores for a neighbor, gave me some money. I went to a store, saw a book of magic, bought it, began to practice these coin tricks. He said, began to practice over the next few days. It got pretty good. And my job, he said, was to be quiet 
And my father would just sit in a chair and sometimes he'd read a newspaper. He'd never speak. And I was doing a trick. I made a coin vanish. Suddenly the first time I heard the newspaper rustle as my father pushed it down to the ground and a voice spoke and he said, how did you do that? Siegfried would go on to say that was about the only time, perhaps the only time he ever spoke. But he said, in that moment, I realized, wow, if I could learn tricks to bridge a gap like that, what can I do to impact and entertain other people? He said, from that moment was born in me this desire to do magic. Fascinating. Behind the scenes of one of the most famous people in show business, what? Pain. That's why we need to be fully immersed in our calling for Christ. Because behind the scenes, you never know what somebody's really going through. Carl Menninger, I love this. He was asked, if you came across somebody desperate, depressed, and they were at their wit's end, and it was an emergency, and they called you, what would you say in that moment? He said this, lock up your house. Go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. The last part of 1 Corinthians 15, 58, what does Paul say? Know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That word is translated many different ways. Ultimately, it means anything you do for Christ never goes to waste. Let me read a few different translations. International Standard, the work you do for the Lord isn't wasted. Aramaic English, no, your toil has not been worthless. Word translation, no, the hard work you do for the Lord is not pointless. What is Paul saying? No matter what you do for Christ, it may go unnoticed by the world. It's not unnoticed by him. No matter how small it may seem, Jesus said if you give a cup of water to somebody, it's like you did it unto him. So if we say I'm going to stand firm in a confused culture, I'm immersed fully in his calling, and I know, regardless of if anybody else pays attention or not, what I do never goes to waste. You see, that's what it is to follow Christ. Larry King lamented that all his interviews, he said, here's what it was like. One night, interviewed a Nobel Peace Prize winner, lowest ratings ever. He said, the next night, I interviewed a reality star battling addiction, highest ratings ever. Reality is people are often drawn to things that may seem just so shallow. But we see, what do we find? People tossed back and forth by every wind and doctrine. People fearful, confused, a world where the blind lead the blind, and our job is to stand firm. Fully serving Christ. Knowing that what we do for him never goes to waste. Tom Erich says people are hungry for faith. They are hungry for healthy families, healthy workplaces, healthy neighborhoods. They know that darkness is fighting them tooth and nail. They need transformation of life, not shallow religion, if they are to stand up to the darkness.
So what's the point of the discussion here, the metaphor of the, the pando aspen trees, the 100 acres? Well, today, you probably see articles about it coming out, TV shows talking about the aspen trees, the pando acres, are dying. Why are they dying? Well, the area was turned into a national park. And somebody said, you know what national parks need? They need deer. So deer were introduced, and the deer have begun to dig up the ground and eat the roots. And again, the metaphor is clear. If the foundation, the root system be destroyed, everything else suffers. What does the strong foundation come from? It's Christ, and it's our life based on that solid rock standing firm in Him, sharing the gospel light, fully immersed in that calling, seized by the unseen, knowing that what we do in Christ never goes to waste. We close with the words of C.T. Studd from 1885, words that many have taken as their own personal motto. I take it as well as one of mine. C.T. Studd, born in England, wealthy family. He became very well known in England because he was a professional cricket player. But he felt a calling to become a missionary. So he became a missionary first in China. When he was finished with his time there, he went to be a missionary in India. When he was finished with his calling there, went to Africa. When he finished his calling there, C.T. Studd returned here to the U.S. and began to go coast to coast to encourage people to follow in their own ministry, perhaps become a missionary, to support missionaries. He was asked about his life and summarizing his faith, and he famously said these words, Some people love to dwell near church with choir and steeple bell, but I want to run a rescue station, a yard, from the gates of hell. Stand firm. Be not moved. In Jesus' name.